0: Blaze Radio presents (laughs) Heat Check. check, check.
1: Welcome in to another edition of Heat Check. It is the dying hours of the last day of June, first day of July. So Gabe Schwartz, Griffin Peters, Peyton Gallagher here. Um, guys, what, what's up? What are you guys up to?
2: I'm just counting down the last 21 minutes until UConn is officially in the Big East. Along with that, I've just been playing a lot of golf.
3: <laughs> something I know, something I know. <laughs> Dave,
1: playing here. a lot of golf. Playing a ton. We, we have, love to hear
3: that. Yeah, just slowly, slowly getting better. That way I can, you know, run, run Gabe and our good friend Trevor from the money line off the links when we, we eventually
2: get back to school. When we're 64 years old, we eventually get to go back that to
1: school.
0: That too.
1: Or maybe, hopefully, this fall. But we'll talk a little bit about UConn rejoining the East, Big East a little later in this show. But our, our big news it came yesterday. Speaking of the golf course, I saw this news Right as I was about to tee off on the first tee, Amani Bates committing to Michigan State, the number one player in the class of 2022. I can't believe I'm saying that. That's the class that my younger brother graduates from high school. It, I, can't, I can't believe that those kids are already going to be in college. I can't believe that we're already talking about this kid as an NBA future, as the best type of prospect since LeBron James. What did you guys – what was your original thoughts when you guys saw this news? Because my, original, my first thought was just two he's, – he's two and a half years away from playing college basketball, if that's the case. What is the need to rush?
2: Yeah, so I – with the help of uh, a, a dear friend, Adam Dreyfus, if you're listening, shout out you for helping me find this. So I wanted to know when was the last time a number one overall recruit Committed this early in the cycle because, like you said, theoretically, and let me just debunk this right now it is very unlikely that he reclassifies into 2021. A lot of people immediately jumped, including myself, to that conclusion. Um, just seeing how early in the cycle he was committing, the only thing that kind of made sense was, Oh, he's gonna reclassify, go in 2021, and that doesn't make sense for him because. In order to be eligible for the NBA draft, you have to be 19 years old. Well, Imani Bates is born on January 4th, 2004. Oh my God, 2004. That's like actually mind shattering saying that aloud, but he was born on January 4th, meaning that he will not be 19 in the 2021 draft process cycle. He won't be eligible for the draft. So if he reclassifies, he's going to Michigan state for two years. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But besides that point, I wanted to know when was the last time a number one guy committed this early. And here's what we came up with. Okay, so committing in the eighth grade year um, to Bobby Knight and company. See if I get this right. Damon Bailey in 1990, 30 years ago, was the last time a guy committed this early in the process. And he was in eighth grade when that happened. Um, So, yeah. Just for context on, like, how often guys this highly touted recruit are signing this – or committing, rather, this early, it doesn't happen. I think it was kind of a bombshell for everybody, yeah?
3: Oh, yeah, for sure. It was definitely mind-blowing to me. I was just kind of sitting there enjoying my late morning, and all of a sudden it's just this bomb. And it's good to see Michigan State get a guy like this. This is – their their highest ranked recruit they've ever got. You know, Tom Izzo is obviously one of the greatest coaches in college hoops and just basketball in general. And he's going to get one of the best players, a guy that Jeff Goodman says is the best player in the country regardless of class right now. Better than, he said he's better than Edwards, LaMelo Ball, Wiseman. That's how good this kid is. He's compared to Kevin Durant, that similar length skill set forward that can handle like a point guard and shoot just as well as anyone on the court. Special talent in a program like Michigan State game is really going to shake up what they're going to be able to do a couple years from now when that's, when Amani actually shows up. It's going to be interesting to see, and it's going to be interesting to see the domino effect of this for Michigan State's not only recruiting class, but potential transfers coming in for 2022 and who will want to be a part of that team uh, led by Amani Bates. So it's definitely a ground, even though we're a couple of years away from it, it's definitely groundbreaking news in college hoops, even right now.
1: I think one of the – so I went, I went back through the recruiting rankings just like Peyton did, but I wasn't looking to see when guys recruited. I was looking to see and remember who was the number one recruit in the, since 2010 in each class. So 2010 was Harrison Barnes. 2011 was Anthony Davis. 2012 was Nerlens Noel. 13 was Andrew Wiggins. 14 was Jalil Okafor, 15 was Ben Simmons, 16 was Harry Giles, 17, Marvin Bagley, 18, R.J. Barrett, 19, James Wiseman. Only three of those guys, unless James Wiseman goes number one overall, he would be the fourth one. Only three of those guys, three of those nine, went number one overall in the NBA draft. And I know that James, that, um, excuse Monty Bates is expected to go number one overall. He A lot would have to go wrong for him to not go number one overall. But before we dub him the next LeBron James, like Sports Illustrated did when LeBron was 16, let's give the kid a chance to breathe. Let's allow the kid to play basketball. And let's not put the weight of the world on this kid's shoulders. We did that to LeBron, and it worked out. He's exceeded expectations. He's been better than anything anyone ever would have expected when he was dubbed the chosen one on the Sports Illustrated cover. But we also did that to Maple Jordan, Andrew Wiggins. And even though the guy has made $170 million in the NBA and he's had a great great financial career, he is probably, if you played his NBA career 20 times, this is probably the 16th through 20th worst uh, scenario in terms of career for Andrew Wiggins. So that is probably like the floor for Amani Bates, but let's just not, let's just be like, enjoy the kid before we hype him out of this world. And I know that me saying this is not going to change a a fact because overtime and ball's life and slam and all these things are just going to run those YouTube views for the next two years and say Amani Bates is going to be a problem and all this kind of stuff. And there's nothing I can do about it. But I do just want to say, we don't need to overhype this kid.
2: Uh, I just think it's a, that's a dumb, argument. Like, a is really not dumb a problem? argument. Is he not a problem game? Like, <laughs> of course, the acclaim is going to co- – it doesn't matter. Like, he is very good at basketball. We all know that. Seventh Woods mixtape was insane too. You know what makes Imani Bates different than, like, the hype guys? like Amani Bates is the only player in the history of high school basketball to win national player of the year as a sophomore in high school. The guy is different, and I think anybody who watches him knows that. Now, for the people who think that he could step into the NBA right now and would be the number one pick in this draft, I tell you you're you're sorely and sadly mistaken because all you have to do is look at the guy once and say – He's a little bit skinny and a little bit small to be banging around in the NBA. But his offense, that's the difference between super athletic guys. They'd still take number one. I don't know. if At 16, he's still so much to be sure and to know. Sign me up. Like, dude, Seventh Woods was regarded as a prodigy on this level when he was younger. Maybe not to this extent where, like, actual – basketball people are saying this guy is the future but all you have to do is watch his game in action and you see the technical aspects that aren't going to go away the footwork is superb the jump shot form is amazing these are things that players his age don't usually have down like this this is these are skills that we see from like Kobe in year six after he's worked on everything tirelessly and he's already got it He's got a lot of different scoring moves in his bag. It's just whether or not, you know, is he going to put the work in to maximize his potential by maximizing his body. But, Gabe, to be honest with you, I don't think there's anything wrong with hyping the kid up because he's earned that much.
1: He is that good. I'm not saying that he hasn't earned it. I'm saying that it's the unfair and it will be unfair if he doesn't meet these expectations because we we want him to when we have a, a we have reached the point where much like we were with with Jordan or not not us but much like people were after Jordan was done and they were searching for the next Jordan and they found off brand Jordan and Kobe people are going to say as LeBron teeters off and as his career ends, even though some of us believe he could be around for three, four, five more years because he's got just a lot this longevity, we're approaching the point where people are going to start seeking and searching for the next LeBron James in the NBA, and this is the kid that they're going to pin it to. And I just feel like let's like let's kill. but we There's can't little, do that because because we can't have rational discussions in 2020. But we There's can't a have little
3: bit. I would have to say the NBA now is a little bit different when LeBron's going to leave instead of when Jordan left. The NBA now has way more star power in the current game than it ever did back when Jordan played. So there's not this big need to find the next. You have the next already in the NBA. You've got Zion. you got Luka Doncic. Giannis has already won an MVP. It, it's like everyone's – it's LeBron. But KD and Kawhi still got a play on end. years left too. KD with the Achilles injury. Who knows, you know, who knows how he's going to come back. But Kawhi's only 29. He just turned 29 years old. Top five player in the league. People will say guaranteed top 10. But he is there for a while. So I don't think there's a huge search for the next, which I think will take a little bit of pressure off of Amari Bates, like you're saying. I don't think it's like people searching for the next Jordan because you've got guys that are just incredibly talented in the NBA level that are so young already. Like LeBron, there are successors to LeBron. You don't need to find the next one right away.
2: Is it like, Gabe, to say it's unfair to, like, with a lot of these younger musical artists who come out and are successful or these younger actors who are successful, it's not like the weight of the world is on them. There are expectations when you are good at things. That's how our society works. That's how the world at large works. I mean, Messi broke into the Barcelona first team at 16 he didn't fail the great ones find a way to meet the challenge I think that people think Amani Bates could be that and you may say it's unfair that may be true to a degree but you know ultimately I think Amani. it's interesting because amani has got this support system around him he's got this very tightly knit family and we can talk about this a little bit um and how we feel about it and obviously we're not in the household we don't know the actual situation but the announcement of Amani's commitment to Michigan State was not actually supposed to be the point of the press conference that was called. It The press conference was initially dedicated to his father, Elgin Bates, announcing that he was officially opening up a charter school in Yipsey, I think is how you pronounce it, Michigan, where Amani Bates is now going to play. That, I thought, was almost as interesting a development as his his commitment this early in the process. Because I want to track how that goes, you know. Um, with uh, Prime Academy, Deion Sanders now defunct uh, prep school, guys had issues with eligibility. Uh, You know, I I think that is going to be something fascinating to track is how many guys can just say, I'm going outside the system, we're going to start a prep school. There's more pressure on him to help his father keep the school afloat than there is from, like, the national media, I would think.
1: I mean, I, I guess there can be, I think my, my other takeaway, my other t- takeaway would be, and I think, I guess I, I I'll speak for the two you do as well for people who love college basketball, for people who love college athletics, like we do, this is a, this is another dub for college sports to see a kid that at least shows that he has some desire to play college sports. Last week we were celebrating Cade Cunningham. This week it's it's Amani Bates. And it's weird because you were talking about, Peyton, you were talking about the earliness of his commitment. I mean, only three kids are committed in the class of 2022, and it's Amani Bates to Michigan State, Dior Johnson to Syracuse, and some other kid to Pitt. So,
2: some other kid to Pitt.
1: <laughs> yeah, i. I That's all I saw. I I saw he was in, like, the 50s, and I was like, yeah, well, I'll worry about that – learn about the kid in in two years. But I just – I think that's a – it's a great sign for college hoops, and I think this this should be us. Uh, This should be a a celebratory victory parade over the G League because college basketball is back.
2: I understand this adversarial relationship that's developed (laughs) between – I mean, I understand Gabe loves college sports, and I do too. Um, I guess I take kind of a Calipari approach. Of, yeah, of course I'd like to see these guys play at the college level. Um, I think there's a level of tradition and just like a mystique about being able to, for the rest of your life, rep this institution. Even if Imani Bates fails, Titus and Tate were saying this, even if Imani Bates flames out in the league or does, even, doesn't even get to if he goes and says, I'm not actually going to Michigan State, uh, I'm going to the NBA somehow. Right. Never plays there. Michigan State people will always claim him as their own because that guy could have played for us. Even if he fails in the league, he's always going to have the support of the people in East Lansing, the people who cheer for that institution. So that is a cool plus about playing college athletics. And another element of this is that the NCAA's licensure everything with players' name and likeness rights being – given back to them essentially, that's going to go into effect. He's going to be the guinea pig for that pretty much of how much can a guy make in college just off name and likeness. Because he's going to have all the sponsors and everything he would want because of how much of a phenom he is. It's, that's the other thing that I think is going to be very interesting to track with him.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I think him and Bronny, is just like the two kids that we're going to be like, what are they capable of making? And that, that's on the somewhat open market.
2: Bron- Bronny, the difference between Amani Bates and Bronny, and this isn't to slight Bronny as a player at all. Amani Bates is averaging 33 points per game in high level Michigan basketball as a sophomore, and Bronny is averaging six point six points per game and not even starting for his high school team. Granted his high school team is loaded with ESPN one hundred five star guys, but
1: all still, five stars
2: Still <laughs> so I, I think it's funny how we're talking about him in the same context when Bronny is not again, not to say all Bronny's ability, not even half the player that Amani Bates is right
1: now. That's fair to say. I mean what's what's even you in on College basketball. Game? I mean, I'm what? Are you on that wagon? Are you on the college no, basketball,
3: basketball? Dude, wagon? I'm I'm all on wanting to see the top recruits play in college, and that's what I'm all for. That and it's like you know, it. I'm not gonna hate on a guy because he goes to the G League. You know, that's. I mean, at the end of the day, these these young adults are making a choice for themselves and their families, and it's like you're not. You can't you can't sit here and you know, they just bring down someone because they made a choice that they think is best for them and their family. So I'm not going to be upset that way. Would I rather them come to the NCAA and play, play some college hoops and probably get to see them in a little bit of March Madness? Absolutely. Every day of the week, I will take that. Seeing a guy like Imani Bates in March is going to be electric, especially at Michigan State. He's going to have a chance to win a national championship probably there, and that would be very cool to see. I just think it I think they get a better national stage there too. And i like like you guys talked about with the endorsements and stuff. We'll see how that goes. It would definitely be interesting. But I I just think if you Imani Bates is a guy that's gonna want this exposure, you're gonna get it if you're gonna go play at the NCAA because you're front and center on one of the biggest sporting events of the year when it comes to March Madness, and I'd assume they would be there. So I, I think I, I'm on that wagon with you on that. I think you know, I'd, I'm, so I'm glad he went to – I'm glad for now he's supposed to go to college. Who knows what rule changes, whatnot, whatever could happen by 2022. Who honestly knows.
2: But as of right now, he's going to be a Michigan State Spartan, and I'm really looking forward to it. I wonder what the – and this may I be think. a question for our friends of the money Moneyline um, and Trevor. I wonder if you could get a line on the 2022 national champion yet. Definitely I think not. The betting line would be for Michigan State just because they have money
1: Well, I'd assume they. I mean, they're not. They're not going like, to. They're not going to let you bet on that because because it would put the sports books in too much.
2: Whatever. Risk. Whatever. It's no fun. But Michigan State. I think Michigan State with sixteen-year-old Amani would be the betting favorite. No takes. Takes. I, I mean, no. they've got a lot coming back. They've got. The Hauser brother that they have is eligible this year. They got Rocket Watts in the cut. Then you had Imani Bates.
3: I mean, yeah. I mean, Peyton's – I mean, he's he's not sounding crazy. I mean, Jeff Goodman, basketball analyst for Stadium, literally went and said he is the best player in the country right now regardless of his class, and he would be number one overall in the NBA if he were eligible for this year's draft. Ahead of Wiseman, Edwards, LaMelo Ball, our boy Obi – he doesn't care. And this you know. I mean it's just it's just another man's opinion. That's high praise for a kid that's 16 years old. Uh,
0: he, is, he is a
2: special to, player.
1: I, like, I want to see what Izzo would do with a like a a Calipari type four or five, five like five and four star dudes who all have high expectations coming in because he's t- Tom Izzo is, is a guy who, like, sandbags his way through January and then turns on the Jets in February and March.
2: Well, here's the interesting thing. So, okay, Rocket Watts is said to be the next point guard in Michigan State. In three years, who knows what could happen. He could transfer at the end of the year. He could decide he's going to play in the NBA now. Um, who knows what could happen? But if Rocket Watts is a point guard of this team, And you've already, you you know, you got that, you know, you have next year's recruiting class to set yourself up with guys that are like two and done type players, two and through players instead of the one and done guys and get that team because now knowing you have Amani coming and I guess nothing's guaranteed, but having that relative assurance that he said all this stuff, like I'm big on loyalty, which was a direct quote. Um, He said that he's willing to commit this early in the process Michigan State was really the only team that was actually actively recruiting him because all the other schools thought he was just going to the league. Um, Izzo was the guy sitting in the bleachers. Nobody else was. I think that was big for him making this decision. But now if you're in Izzo's chair, you have two years to prepare to build a super team pretty much. Knowing you've got Imani coming this far out, you can A, sell that to other recruits, and then B, you don't have to waste that time and that energy with your recruiters on a money, you already have the guy that's going to make the class. Now you go get the opportunity to go set him up with pretty much anybody you can imagine. They can recruit everybody now. It's open season. Like I said, Michigan State is the title favorite in 2022. That is a fact right now. Yeah. Maybe sure. a heinous statement, but a truth nonetheless.
1: I, I, I just think it's – I find it funny that on a, almost July 1st – it will be July 1st when this pod drops, uh, that Peyton's already setting title favorites for the 2023 Final Four. I mean, it's
2: crazy to me that we may not even have a college basketball season this year, and I'm already speculating about the results of a season two years from now.
1: Um, spe- okay, well, speaking of the Big Ten, more news out of Iowa. Former Iowa running back Akram Wadley alleging harassment from the Iowa coaching staff, including head coach Kirk Ferentz. Wadley said, quote, my time at Iowa has done things to me that I'm not going to discuss because knowing how these people treated me and other black athletes, I'm done giving them power over me, but if I could do it all over again, I wish I never played for the Iowa Hawkeyes. I would not encourage any future athletes or parents to send your kid to go play for the Iowa Hawkeyes under that current coaching staff. Um, I was scrolling through his Twitter feed. I was scrolling through – I looked at all the beat writers from the Iowa um, beat and all of this to get information on this story. But first I want to ask you guys what your first thoughts were.
2: Well, I mean, it's been developing, right? And we've all, I think, in the media, everybody outside Iowa City has been trying to kind of figure out how deep this goes. Somehow, Kirk Ferentz, although it's been implied, has kind of gone untouched. They had to let go of a strength coach who was doing horrible things, if the reports are true, like stepping on players' fingers while they were lifting in the the weight room black players and targeting them and being demeaning. But it had never really fully splashed back onto Kirk Ferentz yet right it hasn't really fully splashed back on any coach we saw that Sweeney get away with some alleged indiscretion we obviously saw Mike Gundy get away with um wearing a t-shirt that was pretty inflammatory that was insensitive to his players Kirk Ferentz is in some hot water here Akram Wadley is a recent player a recent standout for him um and It's more so, and I don't want to obviously compare it on scale and severity, but it's more so the Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky relationship in the sense that it sounds like Kirk Ferentz, even though nobody's come out and directly said Kirk Ferentz is the racist, it sounds like he is aware of the culture in his program and has done nothing about it. And that's the problem. I want to know, do you guys think he's going to make it through this? I was only had two coaches in like the last 60 years. So,
3: for I mean, in my eyes, I don't see how he makes it through this, but there, I mean, apparently, as I'm looking at it today, he took a, he's taking a voluntary 15% reduction in pay, which doesn't even, I mean, really doesn't even nearly. That
1: has nothing to
3: do with it. Well, I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't everything it doesn't it doesn't that the kind percent of reduction of pay does not make up for it, even the stories that were told by Wadley and let alone all the other stories that we don't know about that he's done to his players. I mean the fact that Wadley the one of the one of the stories he cited was about how Ference is really strict, especially on black players, about making weight by making weight every week and he'd have Wadley making himself to the, to the brink of being sick, just chugging whatever he could to make weight because he knew the way Ference would treat him if he didn't make weight literally scared him. And that is – no player should ever feel like that. And that is just an awful thing. And if you're, if you're, if you're in Iowa right now and you see what just happened with your strength coach – and this also goes to Fer. I, I mean, this you – can't, you can't have multiple instances because if it's the head coach – and the strength coach, who else was doing it? You know, like there's got to be more people here. You just got to figure out as a program, you got you to gotta clear this out in my opinion. You can't, you can't have – this comes back to recruiting as well. He said, I don't want players coming to Iowa. Iowa's a school that produces very good talent, usually consistently has guys going in the first round of the NFL draft year in, year out. And it's not like Iowa's not recruiting good players. They have good players that come out of that school. And if this – if they keep Ferriss around, I don't see players like that saying, I'm going to go play for Iowa. Oh. Kind of the coaches okay.
2: are – Hold racist. on. Well, because, no, Iowa's always been a oh. that has done more with less on recruits. I, I think it, do, it affects them negatively because they're always every recruiting battle they go into from here on out with Kirk Ferriss as a coach, at least in the meantime, they're going to be starting behind because of the black this has given the program. Um, now, again, like I say, nothing has actually directly gotten back to Kirk Ferentz, but you hear stuff about his son, Brian Ferentz, who's the offensive coordinator, and yeah. you have to wonder. So here's what, here's what Wadley said. During the winter, the Iowa coaches handed out black wool Nike hats to all players. When we finished practice while leaving the field, I liked to put my hat on immediately because it was cold and when sweating, I didn't want to get sick. One time when I was jogging to the facility, Coach Brian Ferentz says – hey, Akram, are you going to rob a gas station? Now, obviously, that's coded language. That's racially targeted. Wadley goes on to say, I was so upset but ignored him and kept going. It's happened a couple more times in the same situation. The only difference is he said, quote, Akram, are you going to rob a liquor store? Those other times I just looked back at him and shook my head because I knew responding to him would result in some type of unfair punishment. That doesn't sound like a healthy culture, and it would be one thing if the offensive coordinator was just a guy who worked for coach Ferentz, right? The fact that it's his son, that's taught behavior. If you have a father who's flagrantly anti-racist and teaches you from a young age that that kind of behavior is not okay, that doesn't happen. That, that starts at the top and the apple doesn't far too, fall too far from the tree. I, I think that speaks to a larger systemic problem. Um, that we've seen a lot of coaches go down for in the past. This this oppressive, old school, hard driving approach that these coaches have, this disciplinarian approach, it just doesn't fly anymore. It just doesn't fly. These coaches are going to go extinct. And
1: well, okay, coach parents is one okay. of the
2: dying breed. Clearly,
1: I don't. I don't think that like Nick Saban coaches that much differently than Kirk Ferentz does. Oh, yeah, I absolutely that's that's one okay we can disagree about that. I want to speak to the the thing about the pay cuts that Griffin mentioned. That has nothing to do with this situation. The Iowa the University of Iowa's fiscal calendar year ended today. And so they just in anticipation of making less money this year, all of their coaching staff took a pay, took the 15% pay cuts, just like the University of Kansas has. Bunches of other schools already mentioned that because of the coronavirus, they're going to have to take pay cuts. I'm not advocating for the behavior that any of these coaches have displayed, but I went through Akram Wadley's Twitter page, and he has advocated strongly in the past year for – how much he loves Iowa, how much he loves the coaching staff, the play, the former and current players. He's tweeted about going to games. He has tweeted, and his mom's Facebook um, has been sharing pictures as recently as March of recruiting packets that have been sent to his younger brother. So I don't know exactly when the break off in the communication has come but at some point something went wrong because akram wadley as far as things have gone he del- he just deleted today a tweet from uh june 25th of 2019 where he said miss those days i had to wake up at 5 a.m and chug power aids waters and shakes and eat breakfast before workouts to make weight on mondays after a wild weekend laughing face uh And then the hand palm over parentheses, only the real ones can relate. So as recently as last year, this was like stuff that he joked about. I don't know what changed and I can't speak to that, but I'm just saying like he's, he hasn't always been anti-Iowa and he's been very closely related to university for a long time. So I'm interested to know and see and step back and see where things go from here. I just... Kirk Ferentz is one of, if not least, the longest tenured head coaches in uh, FBS, in the FBS, so for him to lose his job, a lot of stuff's going to have to happen, I feel like.
2: Yeah, no, I I think you're right on that. Like, we're looking at a school, I'm looking through it right now, Uh, the amount of coaches they've had, Hayden Fry took over in 1979. They've had two coaches since 1979. There is no other school in the nation that is like that. It's going to take a lot to get a man who has been at Iowa and been successful at Iowa for 20 years removed. But if there was a climate for it, and I do agree with you. I did some research on Akron Wadley as well. You know, he cites that a drinking problem arose while he was at Iowa in response to the way he was treated, and I'm not going to victim shame. Um, at all but you know when people say stuff like that you go okay you nod your head a little bit and you you don't ignore what they say obviously but it adds a tinge of doubt that wasn't necessarily there before to their comments but that's nullified to me by the fact that other players it's not like it's some grand conspiracy the fact that a bevy of other black players feel the same way as Wadley says to me that there is at least a disconnect, even if it's not actively malicious, which, based on Wadley's story about his jogging experience with the coach, it sounds to me like it is. But even if it's not openly malicious and it's just a disconnect of eras, there's no place for that. And something is happening, one way or another, that is not okay with the black players that Kirk Ferentz has. You know, not all the players who liked – Or not So, okay, Isaiah Thomas stands up for Bob Knight to this day, but that doesn't mean a lot of the players who played for him and some of the stories that you hear about him don't disgust you, and some of those players denounce him to this day. Everybody's experience is a little bit different with these coaches, and, you know, I think it's very clear that some of the Iowa players who have played for Kirk Ferentz think that there is a racially oppressive or at least grading environment in this football program. I think that's undeniable at this point, whether that's a fireable offense, that's yet to be seen.
1: I guess where my disconnect comes from in terms of me and you in this situation is I don't believe that Kirk Ferentz should be held responsible for what his son says. I think that, for a grown man to, I don't think that we should be holding people responsible and taking jobs away from them based on what their family members say. And you can, you can maybe think that that might be where it comes from, but there's no proving that. And and until there is proving that, I just don't think you can take a guy's job because his son says some bad stuff. Well, I also don't believe— Because once you, start, once you start holding people responsible for what people around them say, I don't know.
2: As somebody who's grown up around being from the South, and, you know, there's a lot of great things about the South, but obviously there is this constant um, stain, so to speak, on the culture of the South that is racism. I grew up around it. I've seen it. I know it. You don't often see people coming from households where you are taught from a young age that everybody's equal. Like you take after racism is a generational thing. It, it comes from your parents. You don't just develop it. That's not a, it is a taught behavior. I find it extremely unlikely that Brian Ference just decided on his own volition that that's how he was going to think. And again, I can't get inside his head or his heart to tell you what he thinks about black people. The fact that he was willing to say those things to a black athlete shows at least a degree, at the least, of insensitivity and, at the worst, hatefulness. That is not tolerable for people who are supposed to mold young men. I'm sorry, and I do hold Kirk Ferentz accountable because he's supposed to be, regardless of the paternal affiliation he has to Brian Ferentz, he is supposed to be accountable for his staff. So that is his fault, and I hold him accountable for such. I think he should be terminated, personally. That's my thought. We'll see what happens, though. I'm glad you brought that up, Hank, because I was going to say the same thing as you said there is that, you know,
3: Regardless if Brian Ferentz is Kurt Ferentz's son, you, if that's on your staff, you need to do something about that. Because the head coach, is the person that manages the entire staff of the football program at the University of Iowa. If that behavior is going on in your locker room, that is not acceptable, and that can't be around, and that cannot be around your players. And the fact that obviously there was really nothing done about it, from what we know, he is he is accountable in some aspect. He, he doesn't just get a pass here because he didn't say it, whether it's his son or not, that's, that is your offensive coordinator. That is like your, that is one of your right-hand guys when it comes to your coaching staff. And if he's treating his players like that, that can't fly, whether he's your son or not. doesn't matter. I, I, like, I, I think he should be fired. Like I said, when we first started talking about this, but I mean, who knows? I mean, obviously they got to do some investigating and we'll just have to wait and see, but. I, I don't. I would not be surprised. If there is more evidence found that this behavior comes not only from the coaching staff around Kirk Ferentz, but actually from Kirk Ferentz himself.
1: If it comes out that it 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 was enabled and like promoted behavior by Kirk Ferentz, I'm all for him being gone. But I will hey, say that I, I just think it's... at this point, at this point, I don't think that that's been the the case I think from what I've read
2: that's chosen ignorance because these coaches are around each other all the time they're at these practices in the case of Kirk Ferentz for 20 years Brian Ferentz has been there a while he's been with his son on the coaching staff a while on these practices together every day you think he's not seen this behavior at least once there's no way there's no way He knows what's going on in this program, and whether he knows it's right or wrong, that is, I think, up for discussion. But that's not an excuse. It's not an alibi. He's known this is happening in this program. And the fact that multiple players have come out and said it, it's not just one guy, tells me that there is an issue. It's not just made up. And, you know, you can see it as opportunism and maybe to an extent – Some people are using it as such. I mean, you brought up the whole thing with Akron Wadley and his relationship with the program. And again, it's another guy, you just can't get in people's heads and hearts and decipher what their intentions are. But the fact that other players have said that this environment is not okay, he is the man responsible for curating that environment. He creates the culture of the program and the culture that he seems to have created is not acceptable in 2020. Maybe you give them the opportunity to change, but old habits die hard, and I I just don't I can't again I can't speak to the quality of the character of Kirk Ferentz, but it it really at some point one of these coaches has to get held accountable, has to.
1: Yeah, I we'll see how it goes. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll talk about it again. I'm sure that there will be more news developing around this situation, and it'll we'll, we'll have some answers in, in the coming weeks. Um, like we mentioned earlier, UConn, I think they are officially now uh, members of the Big East ago. again. As of 19 minutes ago, UConn Huskies have been everything that isn't football. I think that's that's is that the is that what it is? Everything that's not football, right? and Yukon football they're an independent anyway. I mean, yeah, Yukon football, Bob Diaco, the civil <laughs> <F>. <laughs> um, but what do you guys think of this move, and what does it mean for Yukon hoops? Well, you lose
3: you lose Syracuse, which is one of the, the founding fathers you would say of the Big East, but you gain one in return. You gain one back in UConn, so it's you know it's good for, it's good for their hoops program to get back into a conference like the Big East with such great programs. You know it, it's gonna it's gonna help them out a lot. I think it's gonna help a lot when it comes to tournament time. You're gonna have a way better resume as far as conference play goes. Going back into the Big East, that's gonna help them a lot because for they're in Conference USA, correct? I'm not gonna. No, they're, that's that's where they the American, they're, okay, the American. So, I mean, that's going obviously going to help them out a lot more than playing in the American. It, it's just that's the way it goes. The Big East is one of the power basketball conferences. So, I think that's the biggest thing for their, for their hoops, I guess, aspect of it. But it's also going to help them, I think, with recruiting as well. It's more appealing to go play in the Big East than the American. It's just that simple. So, I think this is nothing but a positive kind of, it kind of puts a very small band-aid over a big wound that the Big East suffered of losing Syracuse, but it is nice that they are gaining one of their
2: original, original partners back. So it's good. Uh, I, UConn moved to the American in a football move. They're moving to the Big East, back to the Big East in a basketball move because they realize their football program is a money pit and it's probably not salvageable. Um, UConn football has never really been a, a relevant thing. And uh, in the college football landscape and w- were they five and seven or six and six the year they went to the fiestable and lost to oklahoma it was like uh, uh, they had lost at least five games and that's the most relevant moment in uconn football in the last decade um and then they got thrashed by oklahoma in the, in the fiestable obviously because a g6 team had to be representing the bcs i digress not a football school, basketball school, basketball move. It's going to be really good for the Big East. It's going to be really good for UConn basketball, hopefully. Dan Hurley is a Big East coach. He has got that. His father coached New Jersey high school ball forever. That's where they're from. I'm glad he's back in this conference representing a Big East school, a Big East man. Um, you know, I just think it's awesome all around.
1: Yeah, I would argue Dan Danny Hurley's – just as big of a Big East like Big East guy as what Bobby Hurley like should be, um, but I, I think that no doubt about it. There's there's no way you can argue with the fact that playing Villanova, Xavier, and Saint John's every uh, every week is going to be better for them than playing Tulane, East Carolina, and Memphis. As much as I love uh, the Green Wave so yeah, absolutely. um absolutely. UConn, what i just said absolutely yeah I think okay the um right
3: now, but they're just not they're just not up to par as far as the basketball program it's
1: okay yeah even even with uh our guy ron hunter as the head coach um uconn back in the big east congrats to them uh 23 minutes into their tenure we love what we're hearing and what we're uh, going to see. Lastly, before we go, UCLA and Cal, this was, uh, I think, big news yesterday morning as well, breaking their contracts with Under Armour. So UCLA had a $280 million deal. Cal had a $86 million deal. So guys, uh, which apparel company do you want to see pick up UCLA and Cal?
2: Oh, there's really only two. Um, Nike and Adidas represent, if it's not Under Armour, it's Nike and Adidas for every single school at the FBS level. And football is the money driver here, so let's be real. And uh, UCLA left Adidas only two years ago because uh, they didn't think Adidas was getting the job done. So I'm going to guess UCLA ends up with Nike. As for Cal, they kind of get ripped here because teams aren't, I mean, These equipment providers, rather, I should say, aren't racing to dish out money right now as they're all taking massive losses amidst everything going on with COVID. Um, So Cal is probably going to really get hurt here in terms of their athletic apparel deal, but it is what it is. I mean, yeah, all all the Under Armour schools, would you be surprised if every Under Armour school – left aside from Maryland where the founder of Arm Armour attended college and pretty much built all of their facilities, ends up terminating their deals by the end of the year. Like South Carolina gone, all these other schools, Texas Tech.
0: I
1: mean, they, they also have Northwestern. They've got Auburn. They've always treated Auburn well. Notre Dame just had a big apparel deal. So unless like Notre Dame starts falling apart, all those kinds of things, I think they're fine.
2: Well, UCLA is a mainstay brand, but they're not Notre Dame level. So I think that's the big alarm because the Notre Dame deal was signed only a couple years ago, and it's a big one. So if that falls through, man, we're looking at a world where Nike and Adidas are the only two players in the athletic apparel space at the at the FBS level. That would be insane.
1: Yeah. Well, so do you do you guys think that they're going to go? begging back to their ex and go back to adidas or do you think they're they're trying to link up with nike
3: honestly i don't think i don't think the ucla adidas relationship necessarily ended on bad terms under armor approached ucla with a record deal breaking the previous record of i think it was around I can't remember the exact number, but it was a 15-year deal with Ohio State, and Nike was the previous record deal. And then Under Armour approached UCLA with a 15-year, $280 million deal. I mean, if you're UCLA and you're a brand-free agent, why wouldn't you take that? Whether Adidas was a great school for your apparel or not, at the end of the day, you're probably going to take the money. And not like Under Armour is a a lesser brand. Under Armour is a quality apparel provider. And if they're getting that kind of money, they're going to take it. Now, obviously now that it's going away, they're not gonna have that they're not gonna have that same deal. But I don't think it's impossible that they re-up with Adidas. Uh, I would I would like them to see Nike, because I just think Nike Nike fits UCLA, but who knows exactly where we're gonna go. It's gonna like Peyton said, it's gonna be tough to gauge what kind of negotiations are gonna go on between the school and the apparel brands with the COVID-19 losses. Nike's reported a huge loss. In their in their current quarter, um, current quarter earnings. So that was uh, it's just, it's just going to be interesting. what kind of deal they're going to get? Obviously, UCLA is not going to be getting the money they got from Under Armour, and that's you know that's not great for the school in general. But hopefully, they can find an athletic apparel provider that they can be happy with, or they might have to go to uh, I guess in-house uniforms if they can't find anything. I don't, I don't know exactly what would happen.
1: Um, yeah, they're going to be wearing the intermural pennies out there on yeah
2: I just would it not be just so Michael Jordan for him to say just like somehow like view wooden as competition and just want to stake his flag in UCLA's brand and make UCLA basketball Don the jump man. I feel like that's a Jordan thing, right? That's a Jordanism. That'd be so sick. I mean UCLA the Jordan school
1: I mean I don't know what would be wrong
2: He's just like – It's
3: just Jordan covering up all iconic basketball locations with his with
2: – It's brand. like, to hell with your tradition. You are mine now. It's, just like, it's, the, it's like the flex on Patrick Ewing where, A, first he employed Patrick Ewing whenever Ewing was with the Hornets and made him wear the jump man there. And then when Ewing took the Georgetown job, he's like, ah. Oh, Okay, Georgetown's already a a Jordan school because Jordan beat them in the national title, and then they they started wearing him on their shoulder. And now Ewing's there too. Like, he just likes to flex on dudes. I feel like he'd, like, somehow view Wooden as competition or maybe, like, uh, I don't know, Bill Walton or something. Or people say Kareem is the best basketball player of all time. So they're like, I'm going to take your in honor and use them as a billboard for myself.
1: No, Michael Jordan's going to strike an apparel deal with Adidas to spite Isaiah Thomas and then put names on the back of the jerseys just to, just to make everyone in Bloomington <laughs> mad. That's his, that's his final The final straw in the Isaiah Thomas-Michael Jordan fight is names on the back of, of Jordan brand jerseys in Bloomington, it, Indiana.
2: It's not the uh, stars on the back of the jersey anymore. It's just little jump mans, like five of them. Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> it's 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 the outline of the state of indiana with a Jumpman logo straight in the middle instead of <laughs> well,
2: it's, it's north carolina now it's the outline of the state of north carolina
1: uh, oh gosh indiana north carolina rivalry is still, still going on all right well uh that's another episode of the heat check show uh follow us on twitter at Hsblaze at griffin what's your twitter
3: griffin peters underscore
2: how do you not know that? you know this man?: Because movie. it used to be – well, it. it. I changed
3: it in about February. It used to be GP2332, but I changed it to Griffin Peters underscore.
2: See, the thing is, I remember you talk, talking to us about and I also remember Gabe being there for that conversation as we walked to Taco Cello. Yeah,
3: so, Gabe, Gabe is a busy man that's got a lot of things on his mind. I don't expect sometimes, him to know what my Twitter handle is. He follows me. He doesn't even know no, why. If
1: we were walking in Taco Cello, I was thinking about Taco Cello. I'll be honest.
3: <laughs> yeah, I miss Taco Cello. If, there are, if anyone on that staff is listening, just know you are a great individual, and I love you.
2: Can't wait to see you back to Arizona. Uh, Gabe, do you know my Twitter?
1: Yes. Yeah, I know because it, it has the Peyton T, T. Gallagher. There it is. Only one T, though. I said it twice because, for emphasis, mine's Gabe Swartz underscore. Um, Thank you for listening. Subscribe, like, review. Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Peace. Blaze Radio
0: presents (laughs) He He Check.
1: Hey, everybody gotta know that we next Doesn't matter if it's Sunday or Monday. You know that we flex. Girl. You can never make it more obvious. You checking for the heat? That's cold. That's cold. That's cold. Headed to the top of the
3: top of this, you can never reach uh, these goals.
1: up. In the booth, and we spin the truth. Hey. We inspire the youth, then we get to the loop. You do what it does, not we do what it do. We turn to the max, and they got you on mute. mute. oh flow so high, so you know hey. I had run running back. Blazes apart ball, we ride hey. like a running back. Gabe brought so you know we have someone there with that. Turn you in the opp, so you know it hey. ain't no coming back.
0: <laughs> now we done with that.